I just want to know how they got coffee and we didn't. Anyway, I hope it's good. Hope you don't burn your tongue. Um, okay, Heavenly Father, will you, um, will you come upon me and will you anoint me to speak about the life of Paul in a way that uh, gets into our hearts, I pray. Amen. So um, what we're going to do in this Bible school is we will take books and we'll just work through them like we've just done, which is really good. And we will also take other lectures that are, are thematic. We will take things like miracles. We'll take faith. We'll take gifts of the Spirit. We'll, we'll look at different aspects of Christianity because we don't want it just to be that you know more about the Bible, but that you do more of the Bible. So you're going to get both in these lectures. I will generally do the pragmatic stuff because I just don't have the intellect of the rest of the guys. But uh, uh, I'm going to take a leadership journey, um, and I'm going to do 12 lectures of around Paul's life to look at Christian leadership. The ultimate leader is obviously Jesus, but there's quite a lot you can learn from Paul as he learns to emanate Jesus. I hope you don't burn your tongue. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through some of who Paul was. Some of it's going to sound like it's a bit arbitrary, and then when I get to the end, I'm hoping that I can wrap it all together so that it means a lot to you. So Paul has been called again and again the world's most successful Christian. Even secular historians recognize him as a remarkable figure. He had a vast intellect. He, if you read his sermons, you, you start to understand how smart this guy was. His ability to contextualize was off the charts. Um, this morning I went for a surf, and uh, I was surfing with a guy I'd surfed with for years and years, and he always asked me the same question, are you really a pastor? And, uh, and I said, yes, and he said to me, he said, I bet you run your church like Westfall Prison. <laughs> and I thought about it, and, uh, and, and, and then he said, because that's how you surf. Anyway, uh, so we, we had a, a good chinwag, and then he started telling me that he'd been watching on Netflix or something, this psychologist who um, was helping him understand his issues. And so I said to him, that's fantastic, because you're going to get to the bottom of all your issues and then realize that you have no power to change. And he said to me, are you going to Bible bash me now? And I said, but I'm going to Bible bash you so hard for the rest of your life. I am coming after you. It was, it was delightful. Contextualization. One author said if he had only one hour to share the gospel with a person, he would spend the first 45 minutes finding out what the person believed about God and the last 15 minutes presenting Christ from that basis. It is contextually correct for me to tell that mate I will go after him for the rest of his life and contextually incorrect to do that to other mates. Paul was the master of contextualization. He was able to speak to the Jews. In fact, in Acts 9.20 it says, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews, he'd just been saved, who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. He was able to do that with the Jews, and he was able to do it with the Greeks. In, in Acts 17, he says, Men of Athens, 
I observed that you are very religious in all respects, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by humans' hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life to all, uh, sorry, gives to all life and breath and all things. Paul goes on to quote poetry of the day, and he, he basically, it would be like him getting a very popular song and using it to preach a gospel. He, he is so astute when it comes to what's going on in the day and the thinking, and so able to bring the gospel into that, that people struggle to disagree with him. A present-day parallel to Paul would be someone who could speak Chinese in Peking, quoting Confucius, write and reason theology in English at Oxford in a philosophy class, and then go over to Russia and stand before the Kremlin and defend his cause in Russian. He was, when it came to ability, this guy was off the charts. Of all the apostles, he, I think pretty much alone, was an intellectual. I think Peter lowered the IQ quite substantially of, of, of the bunch. But Paul was, he was smart. He wrote three quarters of the New Testament, and it is for this reason that Christianity has intellectual, moral, and spiritual impact. His writings expounded on the death and resurrection of Christ are crucial to the defense of the gospel because he more than anyone else speaks to it from a lens of logic. So I'll give you an example. In 1 Corinthians 15, he, he says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all so we, of all people, are most to be pitied. The big deal about that is he, he then goes on, obviously, to explain that Christ was raised from the dead, and all of these 500 people saw him, and he, and he goes on to give logic. But Peter would never have done that. Peter would have gone, I saw Jesus. But, but Paul gives a philosophical and insightful virtually scientific type logic to prove the resurrection of Christ, which gives ammo to us when defending the gospel. Paul is unique. What's fascinating about him is that somehow, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's able to speak to the humble and the simple and to the great philosophers of that day and to ours. Here's the big idea. God will use every gift that he has given you for the furtherance of his kingdom. And so you can't waste it, even if today it doesn't make sense to you that you've got it. You can't waste it even if you don't understand how to use it today for the kingdom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going and I'm going to drive a theme in. Paul's character was so multifaceted that he's difficult to pin down. At times he was venturesome and impetuous like Peter. 
You think about how many times he challenged the Jews and risked his life. At other times, he was gentle and kind. When we are cursed, he says, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He could be so gentle and so kind, and then he could be so fierce that he would publicly rebuke Peter for his legalism. He was so radically strong when it came to loyalty that he could take young John Mark and tell him because of whatever he'd done that he couldn't come on the next missionary trip. Paul displayed such conviction around what was true and what was right, and yet he could be the gentlest of gentle. In fact, in a quote I'm going to read where they, they speak about him, they say that, in, that his face would sometimes be as an angel. So we'll get to that in a moment. But this guy was multifaceted. Pre-salvation, he was a nightmare to lead to Christ, and I'll tell you why. He writes of himself in Philippians 3 and 4 to 6, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, so if, if anyone else thinks he's got it together, he goes, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Just pause for a moment. There's 613 laws that Paul's going, as to righteousness under that, I'm blameless. It's quite a statement. In fact, he's virtually saying, I'm morally perfect under the law. Now, if you carry on reading, he, he goes, I, I treat it all as, as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. However, when you think about him pre-salvation, he is self-righteous. He feels like he's representing God. He's full of zeal. He's smarter than you. And if you're a Christian, he wants to kill you. He's, he, he's, he's just not the guy you want to live next door to and lead to Christ. He's, he's a nightmare. This is as tough as it gets. Now, I, I want you to just keep these things as we... I'll come to a point where we bring them together. His heredity and, and his training... You know, God begins his preparation of leaders way before their birth. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you, he speaks to Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you, I knew you. I'll tell you why it's so important that we understand God in his preparation is because we live in a day and age where, where we, we speak about privileged and, and underprivileged, and we speak about talented and not talented, and we see the world in terms of what well, makes sense that that person's president. It makes sense that that person's the captain. It makes sense. But when you see the hand of God on your life, and you see that he uses every aspect of your history, 
gift, makeup, surrounding, and then is able to work it all for good, what you are unable to do is look at life and go, well, if I had been given, then I would. So what I'm not saying is that if you're privileged, you should take that for granted. I think you should be extremely grateful and you should try to serve others. But what I am saying is that no one gets to go, man, I've got a raw deal. Because by, by the virtue of God's providence, this is the thing I'm going to keep driving in, by virtue of God's providence, everything that happens in your life, he either will use for good or deliberately made to happen. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and then we're going to go back to, to Paul. When you think of Joseph, he was the favorite son who was given the coat of many colors. But more importantly, he was given dreams from God, probably as a teenager. However, I would argue that those weren't the biggest gifts, especially when it came to leadership. I would say the biggest gifts Joseph was given when it came to leadership was that he was sold into Potiphar's house and learned how to be faithful in Potiphar's house and overcome temptation in Potiphar's house. And then for doing the right thing, he was chucked in prison where he learned to deal with bitterness in prison and he learned to hold on to his dreams in a time of suffering and continue to serve people in a time of suffering and rose to the top in a time of suffering. So that when it came time for Pharaoh to pull him out because of a dream he'd interpreted from a baker and the other dude, when that moment came, Pharaoh, who knew how to live in luxury and in plenty and in everything going right, would lean into the man who knew how to thrive in pain and suffering. And Pharaoh had the wits about him enough to go, I don't know what this guy knows. And if these thin cows are going to eat the fat cows, I need a guy who's learned to thrive in thin cow world. <laughs> it's really important that we start to understand that everything that, that happens in our life, God either will use or deliberately made to happen so that he can shape and form you. I'll take this one more. David became a worship leader in the fields. He became a warrior when he faced Goliath. But he came, became a leader in a cave. He spent 13 years, too, running away from Saul. And um, in a cave one day, he was hiding, and Saul came in to have a wee break. And David walked up. And he cut the hem of his robe. And the reason that he cut the hem is not because it was the closest bit to him, but the hem represented his authority. And David in that moment repents because it wasn't his place to cut away his authority, and he gives it back to God. And in that moment, he, he submits himself to the promotion of God in every circumstance in his life and becomes a confident leader 
Because if you, if you entrust yourself to God's promotion, then you are confident when you get the promotion. If you entrust yourself to man's promotion, then when you get there, you will flap. Back to Paul. It was approximately AD 33 when Paul stood guard over the clothes of the men who had stoned Stephen in Acts 7.58. The Bible refers to Paul then, Saul, as a young man. In biblical times, a young man would have been between the ages of 20 to 30 years old. So I just want to pause. Um, I, I think this is for someone. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, went to, I went to pick up my car today that had been T-boned, and uh, they told me that it was a write-off. And... Uh, and you know when you feel like, you just feel robbed. You just feel that, ah. Oh. And I was walking out of the panel beating shop, and I felt the Holy Spirit put this on my heart, which he's just reminded me about, that um, Satan uses loss to bruise. And if you grab hold of the loss and let him bruise you, often you will not get up again and fight for the thing God's called you to. And the essence of the providence of God is that if you've been bruised, God will work it for good, and it might be the greatest thing you need to lead in the place that God's calling you to lead in. And for some of you, to acknowledge the bruising that it hurts, and then to begin to thank God let me, let me say it this way. The good things in your life hardly ever make you stronger. It's the stuff that hurts. And I feel like there's some people who have been bruised and therefore haven't walked in their calling. And I feel like God wants to minister to you tonight. So Holy Spirit, will you just come on those people and begin to minister to them? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'm the worst lecturer ever, but I might stop and, and go backwards and forwards. Okay. So Paul's referred to as a young man in that scripture. A young man in those days would be between 20 and 30 years old. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, he voted against the Christians, which meant that he was at least 30 years old. Because it, you meant you had to be 30 to, to be part of the Sanhedrin as a member who can vote. Um, he, what that means is he was born virtually around the same time that Jesus was born. He was thought to have been executed in AD 66, which would have made him 68 years old. It's fascinating that he kind of was around the whole time that Jesus was around. His family, he came from basically a moderately affluent family. Uh, they had property. If, in order to be a Roman citizen, they would have had to buy it. There would have been property requirements, living in Tarsus, which probably made him kind of in the middle, mid-level wealth bracket. His parents were of the tribe of Benjamin. They named him after the tribal leader Saul. His father was a Roman citizen, so his parents named him Paulus. His dad was a very strict Pharisee, the historians say. So he would have had, he would have, 
lived out a life that was so in accordance with the law that Paul would probably have had to memorize scripture by the age of eight. He would have been able to quote it in Greek and in Aramaic. He would have gone to a synagogue for schooling. And um, he, would, he would have known most of the Bible by heart. Like all boys of good families in, in that stage, he learned to trade. He later became, um, he would sit at the feet, is the term. He, he was trained up by Gamaliel. Um, and Gamaliel held that the learning of any kind, unaccompanied by a trade, ended in nothing but sin. A Jewish boy could not study under Gamaliel unless he learned to trade, and Paul's trade of tent making proved to be a valu valuable asset. He grew up in Tarsus, which he describes as no mean city. So he's going like, this place rocks. It was one of three great university cities in the Roman Empire. So it was kind of like going to Stelis. Uh, the other two cities were Athens and Alexandria. However, Tarsus surpassed them all in intellectual eminence. It was much nicer than Witz. Okay, and when it came to early travels, at the age of 15, he would have taken his first journey to Jerusalem, which imagine you have learned every day You've been studying these scriptures. You know them by heart. You've studied Jerusalem. You know the plans of God for your people. When he first went there, it must have been like, how many of you have been to Israel? You just need to go with Paul Taylor or Gary Blair, and, and you will understand when you go there how your eyes just open up as you start to see these aspects. That's what it would have been like for Paul. He probably stayed with his sister whilst he was there, because in Acts 21, we, we hear about her. And he was privileged to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, and I'm going to speak about him for a while. He was called as a man the beauty of the law. In terms of a, a compliment, you couldn't get much more. He was the beauty of the law. You, you think about it from a Pharisee's point of view. To, to see that as an incredible compliment. He was one of seven Jewish doctors of the law to whom the title Rabban was given. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Gary. You can just pipe in. He was from the school of Hillel, which took a broader and more liberal view than the school of Shammai. Therefore, Paul was exposed to a wider spectrum of teaching than he otherwise would have been. Unlike those from the Shammai school, Gamaliel was interested in Greek literature. Big deal. He encouraged Jews to have friendship and, and to mix with foreigners and to study relevant Greek literature. He acquired an excellent understanding of the law of Moses, obviously. And what this enabled him to do was contest his theology, but at the same time he gained such insight into Greek philosophical thought. From Gamaliel, Paul would have learned sincerity, honesty of judgment, and willingness to study and use the works of Gentile authors. Gamaliel was known for his moderation. He was the guy who stood up and said to everyone who was trying to kill Peter, hey, if this is of God, you don't want to be fighting it. If it's not of God, it's just going to die out anyway. He was, he was a voice of reason, which 
it's quite interesting to note that Paul doesn't come out with the same voice of reason. He just wants to kill people. And we can only guess as to why, but perhaps it had something to do with a war that was probably going on in his own heart as he watched Stephen get killed and his face shone like an angel. You, you would think that there was probably a war going on inside him at some stage. Amongst the Jews today, they still speak or write of Paul of Tarsus with animosity, him being a traitor of the Jewish people. As I mentioned earlier, Paul was certainly a member of the Sanhedrin, the supreme Jewish legal and civil court. As he himself says, he was one of the judges who voted in favor of putting Christians to death. To qualify for this, he would have been two things, over 30 and married. So, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Paul's wife. Any of you notice that? Which, which means that we've got to ask some questions here. So why doesn't it say anything about his wife? And was he really married? Well, he couldn't have been a member of the Sanhedrin if he wasn't. But here's what would have happened if you were at Sandesh's testimony last this Sunday in Cleef and the one before here. You would have heard him speaking about how he lost everything. His family deserted him. Paul would have been considered dead to his family. And so his marriage would have been, he would have been divorced instantly when he became a Christian. He lost everything. So when he writes the scriptures about singleness, better for understand the context of great loss, of knowing marriage, of experiencing. So Paul, in many ways, can relate to us almost wherever we are. It's a, it's a beautiful gift. F.B. Mayer wrote this. He said, what was true in Paul's case is as true as for us all. A providence in shaping our ends. A plan is developing in our lives. A supremely wise and loving being is making all things work together for good. In the sequel of our life story, we shall see that there was meaning and necessity in all the previous incidents. Some which are the result of our own folly and sin, and that even those have been made to contribute to the final result. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to have this really solid in your life because you're going to blow it. And a, a theology of grace is so ne necessary in leadership. You know, one of, the, one of the stories in Scripture that I love so much is the story of David. He, he's promised that through his line, Jesus will come. And so your first question is, well, who's it going to come through? Because he's got four wives. Uh, which one of them? And it comes through Bathsheba. So Bathsheba was the one that he seduced, or uh, it was a fairly patriarchal environment. I don't know if he just told her, you're coming over here. But uh, he seduces her, kills her husband, and of all the wives, God chooses to use her to birth Solomon, who outside of Jesus, reveals to us wisdom, leadership. It reveals to us a, a picture of the kingdom that no other king really reveals to us. It's through that line that Jesus chooses to work. Here's what I want you to know. When you bring your life under the blood of Christ, 
in repentance. He will use your worst sin as a tool for the kingdom. You need to know that because you're going to blow it. It's so refreshing and so freeing. So let that wash over you. God's providence in preparing Paul may be seen in... Okay, I'm going to go fast, right? In the advantages he enjoyed. Paul, at the time and place in which he lived, was a world citizen. He was a Jew living in a Greek city with Roman citizenship. So that gave him the tenacity of a Jew, the ability to make money too, the culture of the Greek, and the practicality of the Roman. As a Roman citizen, he was able to travel freely within the empire. Since Greek was universally spoken, he would have had very few language problems. He was educated theologically by, by the utmost rabbi. He was familiar with the current philosophical system and therefore could dispute with the chief proponents. His tent-making skills relieved him of the disadvantage of imposing a financial burden on the emerging churches. It also gave him the freedom to counsel or rebuke these churches, which would have been a lot more difficult had he been financially obligated to them. Big deal. A couple of things that Paul faced in his life. More often than not, he had no suitable place in which to preach. He was regarded as a dangerous troublemaker, and many synagogues were closed to him. At times, he told night and day to support himself and others. It's amazing that he still could preach with the amount of work he had to do. He suffered from the handicap of being far from physically impressive. There was a, a, a book written in about 300, in the third century. The Acts of Paul and, and Hecla, it was called. Paul is described as being small in size, with meeting eyebrows, he had a unibrow, with rather a large nose, bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, full of grace, for at times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. Basically, after he got married that once, it wasn't happening again. This guy was not a looker. Uh, but God was all over him. He was apparently not an impressive orator like Apollos. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, we read that they say his letters are weighty and impressive and forceful and telling, and telling, but his personality and bodily presence are weak, and his speech and delivery are utterly contemptible and of no amount. He was often frustrated in his work by false teachers and legalists, they tried to nullify his work. They often attacked his apostleship and authority, forcing him to defend himself. He suffered pain and distress he, arising from desertion by his colleagues. He, he says this. He says, you already know that all who are in Asia turned away and fors forsook me. And then he lists a, a group of people who over the years, maybe they came back to him, but over the years deserted him. And he, and he says, Barnabas, Demas, Hymenius, Philetus, Phygelus, and Hermogenes all left him at various stages of his ministry. I, I just want you to know that this would have been incredibly painful. You're risking your life with brothers, and then they leave you, turn away from you. His... The pastor in him would have broken through this stuff. On top of that, he was whipped, shipwrecked, 
beaten, stoned. Uh, we can go on and on. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28 describes that. He carried the burden of responsibility for the well-being of the churches he helped to bring into existence. He, he, he says, I have labor pains. He had physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain. He, he experienced so much against him. What's fascinating is that Paul's attitude towards these handicaps is an example to all those in any position of leadership. He did not passively or reluctantly endure them. He actually glorified God in them, boasting about his weaknesses so that he could boast of Christ's strength. Big deal. I've gone over time. Here's all I really want you to get out of tonight. If God could use everything of Paul's life for the kingdom, God can use everything of your life for the kingdom if it's brought under the blood. And as a leader, that is the most empowering truth you can live off. That though I messed up and I messed up there and I've got this habit and I've stuffed that up and this isn't working, God in his grace will use all of it to further the kingdom. And so I can with hope charge into tomorrow because he's at work. Amen.